who gets into the kingdom of God? Those who ask. Jesus gives us this answer in our text this morning, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. The kingdom of God, it turns out, is not a kingdom for the taking, but a kingdom for the asking. It's the main idea of our text this morning, that God's kingdom is given to those who ask for and receive it. I want to exhort you in light of that to pray because God gives good gifts to his children. You can see your outline there before you to ask for the kingdom, seek the kingdom, knock according to kingdom principles. Would you pray with me and we'll get started this morning. Father, we need your help this morning. We pray that you would incline our hearts to you, Christ our Savior, and to your word. We ask that by your Spirit, you would work in us so that we might be shaped by your word. Pray that you would focus our attention on you. Lord, we confess that we come before you not even by our own strength or faith that we conjured up in ourselves, but by your grace and your mercy. And for this grace and mercy, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us that gift. We humble ourselves before you today. We ask. We ask that you would give us more of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. The Sermon on the Mount is brilliant. It might come as no surprise, but Jesus is an extraordinary teacher. And so, so this sermon works on multiple levels. It is intricate, self-referential, and worthy of infinite contemplation. To the degree I've brought that out every week, hopefully I have showed you how each part fits inside the whole. You can think of the Sermon on the Mount like, like nesting dolls, if you will. I think that's how nesting dolls work, right? There's one big doll on the outside, and then you open it up, and there's another little doll, and so on and so forth, until you get down to like a teeny tiny one. 
So, so the Sermon on the Mount is sort of like one big sermon. But when we take it apart, we find lots of little sermons. Or maybe you want to think of it like a tapestry, wherein each thread makes its own unique contribution to the whole. And so to this point, we, we have had sermons on anger and lust and divorce and keeping one's word, loving our enemies, hypocrisy, prayer, our priorities, worry, and judgment. And I probably missed a few themes in there. And all of those sermons have been making contributions to Jesus' big sermon, sort of what we'll call his level one sermon, right? There's this big level that he's communicating on. And what he has been calling us to throughout this sermon, we've said week after week, is he's calling us to himself and to holiness. Jesus' goal in each of these sort of mini-sermons inside of his big sermon isn't that we would walk away and go, you know what, it's time for me to set some personal records in regards to righteousness. I'm really, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and now I'm going to do my best to never get angry again. I'm going to, I can really keep my word. I, I can love my enemies. We're going to, we're going to give it the old college try at righteousness. That's not his goal. That's why he began the sermon by saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It was to show us that we can't be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. We can't be better than the best of the best. And therefore, we actually can't live up to this sermon. We can't be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus hopes for us to do in the sermon is to see the heart of God's law and realize, well, it's not enough that I don't just commit adultery. I need to not look at a woman lustfully if I am to keep the law. Jesus is showing us that, that God's law is like a mirror. It shows us God's heart and his holy perfections, but it also shows us our own imperfections. The law is to drive us to Jesus, Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law, he's the goal of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. The goal of the law and the goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to teach us to trust in Jesus Christ for our righteousness. To trust not in our own good deeds, our own good works, or in our biology, or in anything else, but in Christ alone for our salvation. Like how Paul says it in Galatians 3, in verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Entrance into the kingdom of God, the people of God comes only through Christ, right? Again, this is level one. Jesus is saying at this point in the sermon, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, ask. 
and it will be given to you. He's saying, ask God to give you the righteousness you need. Ask God for the grace to put your faith in me. Takes you back to verse 3, of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who come to the Father humble, sorrowful over their sin, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, will be filled. Those who trust in Jesus will be made right with God, will be welcomed into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, again in the Beatitudes, which sort of inform our reading of the rest of the sermon. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the way in isn't by your performance. The way in is by coming humbly, in poverty of spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and asking. It's coming to the Father through Christ and asking. Those who ask for the kingdom, it will be given to them. Now, Christian, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. We don't think that we are made right with God because of what we do. We think we are made right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. We Christians talk so much about the cross and Jesus' death and his blood shed for us because we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that he came to do what we could not, to live a perfect life, to keep all of God's word, and to die a substitutionary death. That's why we talk so much about the cross, because we believe that on the cross, Jesus was dying for our sins. Because the truth about ourselves is unavoidable. We are not perfect. We have rebelled against God. We have said, I'm going to rule my life, follow my heart, do things my way, rather than God's way. All of us are guilty. Every human being who has ever lived has rebelled against the God who has made him or her. We recognize that the just punishment for this is not just physical death, but death stretched out across eternity in hell. And what we see on the cross is Jesus taking that punishment, Jesus taking hell on behalf of everyone who puts their faith in him. Everyone who comes to Jesus and submits to him as Lord has their sins credited to Jesus. Has their judgment day moved from that day when Christ returns to Good Friday where Christ died for his people. Sins forgiven. We Christians talk about the cross so much because it's there that that this great exchange is explained. Jesus takes our sins and we are credited with his righteousness, his goodness. So it's not our lives when God looks at us, it's not just as if we never sinned. 
It's just as if we never sinned and we obeyed God fully and completely with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our souls. So that when God looks on us who are united to Jesus by faith, he is well pleased. He sees us uh, and relates to us no longer as judge presiding over criminals, but as a father who has adopted his sons into his family. This is really good news. My non-Christian friend, you can enter God's people. You can have peace with God. You can have salvation. You can, you can come into the kingdom if you will humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for it. The kingdom is not for the taking. You can't take hold of it by your own righteousness. No, it only comes to those who ask, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus makes this big idea of uh, the sermon coming to the fore in ask, seek, and knock a little bit more evident in Luke's gospel that it's spiritual things primarily in view. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, if you then who are evil, I do love how Jesus excludes himself, right? He's saying, all y'all who are evil, right? I'm not in that group. The Father's not in that group. We're good. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God gives the new birth. God gives those gifts which are required to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. He not only gives us that which is necessary to enter into the kingdom, he provides for us the resources that are required to live as kingdom citizens. See, Jesus calls us to himself and to holiness in this sermon. God is good. He gives good gifts to his children. And so we come to the second part. That's level one with me, right? Jesus wants us to ask for the kingdom. And level two is that he wants us to seek the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are not just called to Jesus as we depend on him in faith. We're called to live in light of who Jesus is. We're called to follow our king and live as citizens. So that when we come into the kingdom, we then seek to live with kingdom characteristics. Look again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Again, this is tied. The sermon is self-referential. Referential. You look at verse 33 of chapter 6. It's in the context of talking about worry. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the things that you need, will be added to you. To seek first the kingdom is to desire above all things to enter into, submit to, and participate in the spreading of the news of the saving reign of God. The Messianic kingdom, which has already been inaugurated by Jesus. To seek God's righteousness is to pursue holiness. 
in full submission to the will of God. Seeking God's kingdom is to pursue holiness. It is to love and seek Jesus by obeying his word. One commentator writes, The Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of Jesus' followers. And now it assures them such gifts are theirs if sought through prayer. Jesus assures his followers that far from demanding the impossible, he is providing the means for the otherwise impossible. Too often Christians do not have the marks of richly textured discipleship because they do not ask, or they ask with selfish motives. It makes me think of James in chapter 4 and verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I do wonder, friends, is your discipleship Textured, as Dr. Carson says. Do you seek first the kingdom of God? If someone were to evaluate your prayers, would they determine that you are really concerned with the growth of godliness in your life? What are you seeking? Are you seeking kingdom, love, and obey the king in light of all that he has accomplished for you? Or are you seeking something else? God's kingdom is given to those who ask for and receive it. And so, so we've seen, just to review a little bit, level one, uh, this calls us, sort of that big nesting doll, to trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Those who get into the kingdom are those who ask for it, who come to Jesus' independent faith. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, level two, that Jesus is calling us to pursue holiness. Right? He calls us to himself and to holiness. It's not as if we can hear these things and go, I could never live up to that and then go, so I don't have to, no big deal. No, no, they're still the words of our king. And so we still pursue holiness. I mean, it's really, really hard. We have a hard time loving our families, and so loving our enemies, well, that's, I mean, that's even more difficult. But we're called to seek the kingdom. We're called to live that way by the power that Christ provides. And so we ask him for it. And we come down to, to level three, which would be the most sort of zoomed-in lens on this text, 7 through 11. And, and what we find is that Jesus isn't calling us to just pray. That's what ask, seek, and knock are, are about, right? Prayer. Uh, he's not calling us to just pray for uh, the kingdom or for the resources to live as kingdom citizens. He's also calling us to pray about all things, everything. Look, look once more. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so the ask, seek, and knock, this call to pray, is grounded on God's goodness. You see that? The reason that we can pray confidently and consistently is because God is good and gives good gifts to his children. You see that in the text? That's the reason we can pray in this way. Because God is a good gift giver. Think of James chapter 1 and verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the good gift giver. That's what, what Jesus is trying to point out. God, if we can give good gifts to our children... Imagine what God, who is entirely good, can do. Think about this sometimes. He says, who of you, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone instead? I kind of go, well, sometimes my kids ask for food, and I'll say, do you want a knuckle sandwich? Right? Sort of like a dad joke, borderline. No, I don't, I don't want that. God gives good gifts. He's not going to give serpents for fish, or, or Luke's imagery, a scorpion gives good gifts and only good gifts. And he's not one who gives begrudgingly. Again, the parallel account uh, in Luke 11, Jesus tells this parable right before he delivers the same injunction to ask, seek, and knock. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus' point is to say, Dude's asleep in his bed at midnight. You go over. You're asking him for some bread to set before your guests. His whole family's asleep. And for him to wake up, he's going to have to get everybody up And if you keep at it, he's going to give you the bread just to get rid of you. How much more then will God, who is your good heavenly father, and wants to treat you as a child, give you what's good for you when you ask? Not to see God as withholding or cheap, but as rich in mercy, as a big spender, Someone who loves his children. Think of Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We are to see in this text God's breathtaking generosity. It is to prompt us to pray regularly and consistently. We're to have a PhD in asking. And most children do. I think that's the reason for the family imagery, right? 
I don't think a, a day goes by where my kids don't ask me to go to the Black Bear Creamery. They ask and they ask and they ask. And they keep asking because they know sometimes good things are coming. God gives generously. But, but notice he gives good things, right? This is very similar to, to parents too. I don't always give my kids ice cream. And I don't give them whatever they ask for. Children sometimes ask for things that aren't for their good, but will harm them. And remember, uh, when Elliot was very young, I mean like two, he's asking me for things like flamethrowers and nunchucks and a real sword. And when those things are all awesome, you know, hope you get them one day. But no, that wouldn't be for your good. Or some of you, uh, and Lord willing, I'll go through this great trial myself, uh, some of you have, have gone through the valley of raising teenagers, right? And there are times where you don't give them what they want, and they don't like it, and they don't understand it, but it's for their good. Right? Some of you have gone like, no, you're not having a smartphone and unmitigated access to the internet that I can't preside over. Because it's not good for you. And they've gone, I don't understand that. I don't like that. And yet you've persisted because you're going, this is for your good. Friends, God is the same way. He gives good gifts. The text says, we'll give good things. That limits our prayer requests, one commentator says, to those things that are in line with God's purposes and it limits God's giving to what is good for us. It limits God's giving to what's good for us. Some have taken passages such as this and developed a, a name-it-and-claim-it theology, which says God will give us whatever we want. Health, wealth, prosperity. This uh, materialism made spiritual is incredibly dangerous. In fact, it's heretical. It says that we control God. The idea that God can't get it done if you won't let him is preposterous. God is not the cosmic butler for his people. Those who teach this dangerous prosperity gospel are popular in our culture. Like Paul wasn't writing when he told Timothy that people will gather to themselves teachers that say things they like to hear. You know many of their names. Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and Paula White and T.D. Jakes and there are many, many more these are snakes who are promoting a false and materialistic gospel, a me-centered gospel that has deceived many. Do not be deceived. Yes, God gives good gifts to his children, but his primary goal in your life is not your material prosperity, but your conformity to the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is not prisoner to your passions. You have not because you ask not, and when you do ask, James says, you ask it 
wrongly, to spend on your passions. No, God only gives good gifts. He only gives that which accords with his will. You notice that? That which is good is that which is consistent with God's character, is that which accords with his will. And that was in our scripture reading this morning from 1 John chapter 5. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. This passage is not a blank check to say, all right, God, Lamborghini! No, it calls us to a humble dependence on God, to a trusting of Him, to coming as a child before Him and saying, hey, give me what's good. And even when I don't like it and don't understand it, I trust that you are acting for my good. We have example after example of the saints before us acting in this way throughout Scripture. We immediately think of Job. Loses his family, loses his wealth, loses his health as he's covered in boils. His wife tells him to curse God and die, and he, he refuses. Remember Job 1.21, even at the beginning of his plight, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job comes to the end of his book, and the result of all of his suffering is not answers about why he suffered, but the person of God. We've said it many times before, when we are suffering, the right question is not why, but who. Who is my hope in? Who have I trusted? God is good, and his work in Job's life was actually for Job's good. Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We think of Paul, who prayed to have this messenger of Satan that was given to him removed three times. Remember 2 Corinthians in 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Notice Paul doesn't say, I reminded the Lord that he told me, ask and it will be given to you. The three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't give Paul what he wants, the removal of the thorn. He gives Paul what is good. He gives Paul what is best. That which would cause him to humbly depend on Jesus. And because of Paul's faith in Christ, he's able to say, I will be boastful about this 
I'm strong in my weakness. I trust the Lord my God. Or we think of Joseph, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, and forgotten. And what happens? His brothers come after his dad has died. They're worried that Joseph's going to kind of, he's waiting to take his revenge until after his dad died. And like, hey, don't kill us, please. We know daddy's dead. Please don't kill us. And Joseph weeps. And in response, he says, you'll, you'll know this one, Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, don't be afraid. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. They sold him into slavery after all. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Therefore, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Friends, we are to recognize that when we don't get whatever we think we want when we are praying, we remember that God is giving us exactly what we would ask for if we knew everything that he knows. He always gives us what is best. Therefore, we we need to make a practice of praying in the pattern of Job and, and Paul and Joseph, recognizing that God is after our ultimate good, that indeed he gives and takes away. Blessed is his name, and that in our weakness we are made strong. We need to follow not only these examples, but the example. We need to follow the way of Christ. Remember how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane after the Lord's Supper? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Not what I will, but what you will. Thank God that Jesus prayed that way was willing to submit himself to the Father's will and to die on the cross for all who would turn from sin and trust in him. He trusted that his Father was always about doing what is best, 
always about doing what will bring him glory. Indeed, Jesus was betrayed, went to the place of the skull, hung, died, bled. He was buried. And God rose him up again. Friends, there are things in our lives that we will wish to be rid of. There are trials that we will go through that make us feel as if we are in the grave itself. But know this, God raises the dead. And he will raise you up also if your faith is in Christ. And when you see the glory of our Father, you will know and you will say, it was all good. You indeed give good things to your people. God raised Christ up. He highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Non-Christian, I encourage you this morning to confess on this day that Jesus is Lord and to follow him. Christian, rejoice indeed that Jesus is Lord, ruling and reigning right now. Friends, this text reminds us that we have a good, good Father, that we should come to him in prayer, that we should come seeking him, that we should knock. Knock there is about knocking on the gate to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The gate's coming in verse 13, enter the narrow way. But we should come to God in prayer over and over again because he's good and he will give us good gifts. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to him in prayer. What peace we often forfeit what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let us go in prayer now. Father, we pray this morning that you would strip us of self-interest, of self-righteousness, of self-centeredness that you would orient us towards Christ, our King, that you would embed within us a chief concern for godliness, for holiness, for honoring you. We pray that you would help us to love well one another, all to the glory of Christ, our King. Pray that you would help us to trust that you always act in our best interest. That indeed every good and perfect gift is from you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.